TRP is a theologically progressive church in Salisbury, Maryland, affiliated with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. This is our podcast. And just a note, we do use some language in this episode that is not suitable for little ears. Free flowing. Up in the booth, y'all. This, I think, I think this one's my favorite. Yeah. If you can see Tessa and myself, just the heads are bobbing. I just look like a chicken. I would say a turtle. Oh, I have a turtle face. Like the turtle from the animated (laughs) version of Robin Hood? I knew you were going to say that. I think it's the glasses, actually. (laughs) They certainly don't help. This is a sweet dance remix. It's Christmas trap music. Yeah. I, I... I still don't think I've ever heard trap music. Well. And I'm okay with that. Okay. I don't think that's my gift to the world, either making, producing, making. <laughs> listening. I don't think anybody was assuming that your gift to the world is making trap music. Don't don't count me out, though. You know what I mean? I want to be a person with many surprises. This is why one of my one of my goals in life is to have a job where I'm wearing like a suit or like a like a tie, or maybe just like a get a get a clerical collar, you know. I'm an ordained minister. Maybe I could throw a collar on, and then I go to the local skate park, and I'm yeah. old, and I like as of a few days ago I had this massive gray beard, like I look like an emerging Santa you say Claus. As of a few days ago, well, I cut it. Oh, you know what I mean. So now it's now it's nice and shorn. Oh oh oh. But. Just, I thought you were saying that your hair, hair turned gray overnight. Oh, no. It's been some time. I, I was looking back at some pictures of my kids when they were little, and my hair was very dark. It and was. I don't want to blame them necessarily. No, but... I bet they're part of it. I mean, you have multiple sources of stress. Oh, gosh. So many. So Anyway, I want to roll up to the <laughs> skate park yeah. and go to a kid and be like, let me see that board, and then just <gasps> rip in the skate I just park. Had a, I just had a flash to... Um, Jackass made that movie, Bad Grandpa or something like that. Yeah, I have not seen that. I haven't either, but the concept right. is like... <laughs> sure. Okay. okay. It's one of them dressed up as an old man. Yeah, and, and they were, so, and a bunch of them were professional skaters. Yeah. Yeah, same thing with... Um, did you see The Secret Life of Walter Mitty? I think is his yes, name. Yes, I love that movie. Great movie, but remember that part when he's like... his The girl that he's trying to impress has her back to him, and mm-hmm. he's like doing all these kick flips for the kid because he was like a professional skateboarder in, uh-huh. in a former life, you yes. know? That's what I want to do. I just want to surprise people and be like, who's that old guy just ripping it in the bowl? You should probably start practicing. Yeah, it might just be one of those things that has passed me by, although... It's not too late. Thank you. I'm also thinking of like Mrs. Doubt, not Mrs. Doubtfire, um, Groundhog Day, where he keeps reliving the same day over and over. Yeah, yeah. And he learns how to play the piano like a crazy man. Oh, Remember? yeah. So like I could go to the local skate shop and take lessons without telling anybody and then one day just show up in the driveway and just start ripping stuff. Yes. Wouldn't that be awesome? That would be awesome. Well, here we are <laughs> back in the booth for another- Pipe dreams. Get it? Yeah, I get it. That's it's nice. skateboard. But oak boom. Thank you. Back in the booth for another episode of the Restoration Projects B-I-T-B. podcast. Yeah, back in the booth. I was yep. trying to track what you're doing. Bitby. <laughs> Bitba. Week three of Advent. Mm-hmm. I am Josh James. I am one of the 
ministers of the Restoration Project, which, as the intro bumper has told you, is a progressive church in Salisbury, Maryland, affiliated with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. We got a lot of different parts there. I was trying yeah, to grab them all and throw them all together. It's a mouthful, for it's, sure. It's a lot. Yeah. But it's important for people to know that because, mm-hmm. gosh, I really want people to know when they step foot into either the virtual space that we inhabit or the physical space that we inhabit, I want them to know who we are so that they don't get ticked when they figure it out. Same. And I also want the people that need to know that we're a little bit different to feel motivated enough maybe to come and hang out with us. Because mm-hmm. so. we see being different as a good thing, a great thing even. Yes. So this past weekend, for example, one of the things that we do that is by far not novel, uh, I guess it is for our area, but people it's are done all over the people place. are doing it everywhere and it's it's a lot of fun we did a christmas beer and christmas hymns event which was fun and we just kind of hung out sang some christmas songs and drank some tasty beverages <laughs> pasta beverages my 92 year old grandmother has gotten on facebook here in the last six months which you know just if you're looking for a general improvement of your life Facebook over the last six months to a year. It's just a great time. It's really a source of joy for me. You know, it's just seeing people at their best. It just fills my cup every time I, I log on. To overflowing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like you get all of the overflowing. Bounty. The metaverse especially is making me. The metaverse. <laughs> what a doofus. <laughs> making okay. me so happy. Hey, there's so many problems with Facebook. What if we just rename it? Yeah. Will that help? Is that what... I honestly don't even know what it is. I don't either, but I assume that's part of it. I haven't looked into it. I mean, all of the whistleblowing and the misinformation and the hacking and the conspiracies. You got to reboot at some point, you know? Yeah. Reboot the simulation. So anyway, my grandmother has learned a lot about her grandson over the past, oh, year or so, however long she's been on Facebook. Mm -hmm. which leads her to have great conversations with my mother on the phone because I talk every day, and she's like, I saw Joshua wearing a Ruth Bader Ginsburg t-shirt. What is that about? Oh, boy. I saw that the church is doing barren hymns. What is going on? And I I just hope that my grandmother will still love me. I don't know her, but I think she will. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I do, too. Yeah. But, yeah, geez, Facebook, do not get on facebook in 2019 to current or 2016 to current or ever it's never been like the most uplifting part of anyone's lives no i was thinking about kids the other day and how when they get old because a friend of ours you know she was talking about how her what is he like 12 ish i don't know who 13 ish i'm not gonna throw him out by name well i can't okay so like the person is middle middle school kid Uh is now getting a little uh little love interest who is texting him some suggestiveness. Yes. And it makes me think about like, oh, when my kids are old enough to have phones Mm. and to be on social media. It's a lot. It is a lot. That's actually a pretty good segue into something that we're going to be starting here in the new year. We have a lot of friends who are smart, Mm -hmm. and we have lined them up to help our parents navigate raising kids in this nearly apocalyptic age. Mm -hmm. We've been playing around with titles for this series. Yes, we haven't landed on anything yet. We haven't, 
but my favorite at the moment is Parenting as the World Burns. Yes. <laughs> and the reason it's funny is because it's a play on As the World Turns. Yep. Got to gotta get your stories in. Yeah. And also, it's a play on The World is Crazy, right? It's it's yes. clearly a joke. We don't think that the world is, is burning. But, no. I mean, you know, the, the heat is actually increasing um, and climate changes is real but you know i can't think about it too much no. it makes me anxious. so we got all these things but I, we thought it would be good to invite you know my friend who is a really good clinical psychologist mm -hmm. to come in and to talk about what it's like to raise kids with anxiety and depression or to have our friend christy come in who's an enneagram expert to come in and say parenting and the Enneagram and if those things can be married together and what you know that might look like for parents to know who their kids are at a really deep level mm -hmm. not trying to type them or to ascribe a number to them necessarily but to see like some of their natural innate tendencies well and with the Enneagram when you know what um, tendencies are when they're either stressed or growing yeah. It's, I don't know, I could see it being helpful in navigating things. Theoretically, because I know a lot of, of uh, you know, let's say my wife's proclivities, mm -hmm. but then you have to have the strength and the courage and the determination to actually take that information and do something with it. Yeah. You know, like I just read something the other day about love languages and how it doesn't even matter if you... This is probably an overstatement, but it's like, it doesn't matter if you know what your love language is, you need to know what your partner's love language is, because that's what is mattering. Right. Because your relationship is not going to get better with just your self-awareness of knowing how you receive love. It's also you giving love like in appropriate ways to your other people. Lang your love language needs to be figuring out what theirs is so that you can love them the way that yeah. they need to be. Yeah, so and if you're not going to put that into practice, then it's all pretty pretty worthless. Right. So knowing like, oh, my kid's a three, and they are this way in stress and this way in health, well, great. But if you're not going to adapt your parenting style in any way to treat your children as individuals, mm -hmm. which I just have two, and it's hard enough like knowing that Jude is different than Abe and mm -hmm. treating them accordingly. It usually it's easier just to monochrome it and yeah. be across the board like well this is the this is the level and this is what you got to do but we're going to be talking about that kind of stuff we're also going to talk about um things that might be a little bit more unique to certain scenarios like uh we've got some people coming in to talk about what uh their experience was when their kids came out mm -hmm. uh, we've got some people scheduled to come and talk about what it's like to to engage with your kids beyond purity culture hmm. and all of the craziness like you know flashback to me being on the abstinence skit troop <laughs> yeah and the the craziness that ensued or any sort of like private christian school sex ethic is abstinence only don't do this don't touch that don't look at this but when you get married it'll all be okay which is just a big fat load of garbaggio yeah to be fancy, it is garbaggio. Yes, but now we've got a bunch of Christians who agree that that purity culture has destroyed us. Mm -hmm. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to put in its place. Right. So I think some people tend towards 
do whatever you want which is also not not the way the move right so trying to figure out what what that is and then we've got a bunch of um skilled people myself included <laughs> that want to talk about um how to talk about the bible and jesus and faith when your faith commitments have shifted over time so when I was a kid, it was very much, and this isn't an indictment on my parents as much as it is on, on the school and the church that I was a part of. It's like, this is the right way, do this or else. That was sort of the, the MO. But now that many of us have ditched that at an individual level, we're trying to figure out, well, what does it look like to talk about fill in the blank with our children? Mm -hmm. So yesterday, I'm in the car, and somehow Jude got talking about Adam and Eve. He was like, who, dad, who were the first people ever? <laughs> and I was like, well, the Bible tells a story about two people named Adam and Eve. And I go on and I'm talking about this. And, and Jude, for some reason, I forget if I prompted this or not, but he basically said, I don't believe that. <laughs> to which, and he, Jude's five. To which I said, well, that's, that's cool. A lot of other people don't believe it either. In fact, um, Abe had been talking about DNA yeah. like a week or so ago. Abe seven. So I talked about the Human Genome Project and how mm -hmm. their findings with all of their DNA mapping and whatever else crazy science stuff they do said that it was impossible for the variety of human life to look as it does today mm -hmm. if it was if it had sprung from two people from an Adam and an Eve. In fact, I believe that they say. There could have been no less than 10,000 people at any one time to have created all of the diversity that we see in the world. Whoa. Isn't that wild? Yeah. So like Jude's five, Abe's seven. I'm talking about all this genome stuff, <laughs> DNA stuff, 10,000 humans needing to be in existence. We're talking about the Bible. We're talking about all these crazy things. And I have in my head, I'm thinking, this seems right, but also I might be destroying them. And also, I'm just waiting. And part of me will relish this when they're in a scenario where someone is talking about Adam and Eve as if it's a historical yeah. you know, story. And I'm just waiting for Jude to say, actually, the Human Genome Project <laughs> has declared that there could be no less than 10,000 people at any one time in human history. I would love Wouldn't that, to Right, because you just like see the... Deer in the headlights, like, yeah. what? What's the Human Genome What's, Project yeah, for one? Happening? For two? What are you talking about? Yeah. For three? And I don't know what scenario he would be in for that to transpire because he's not going to get that at church and he's not going to get that here. But I'm just sort of hoping that someday. someday I mean, it's possible that he could be talking about Adam and Eve with a friend or something. It's weird because I we have all these conversations and... Um, one of Abe's teachers was talking about how he kind of doubled down on on something not too long ago. And this is, you know, kid kid stuff. Mm -hmm. It's easier to think in absolutes or whatever. But it was a story about the Bible and and Abe was pretty convinced that it was it was true and historical and, and I was thinking like, gosh, where do you get that? You know? Yeah. Not getting that from me. So anyway, we're we're trying to get all these expert types together to talk about things that are important to parents trying to raise kids in the midst of the dumpster fire that is the world in which we live. <clears throat> I hope that's not too strong of an adjective, but I mean, good grief. Um, racism, misogyny, and these are not new concepts, no. but these are things that are very on the forefront 
especially because of social media and the polarization of the world in which we live. So we are going to try to bring in some folks to have conversations, to make videos, to, you know, just help our parents figure out what in the world's going on. And circling back, we think that that's going to be a unique thing Mm -hmm. in the church world. Yeah. Right? Because I saw somebody having a, a seminar a few months ago, and it was basically how to teach this isn't what it was called, but this is sort of what emanated from this. How to teach your kids that LGBTQ stuff is incompatible with the gospel. Hmm. And if you happen to be a member of the LGBTQ community and claim to be a Christian, then you're wrong. And these are like the things that are being said to parents oh. and to kids and to, to people in those communities. And I think that's sort of like, what churches usually do mm-hmm. so how cool would it be to have a faith community doing something that's very different yeah and offering different tools and different strategies that it's our hope that might go beyond our 40 or so people mm-hmm. well and it's it's not just telling your kids what to think it's teaching them how to think critically and yeah explore questions and stuff so we're, we're looking for a kids director at the moment mm-hmm. kind of we're trying to figure out what this looks like because in my mind this person is becoming more and more of a unicorn yeah you know just theologically progressive open um caring about kids gifted teacher willing to engage with them you know just it's a long list especially for the amount of money that we have that we're able to pay but the curriculum that we were wanting to use is called Godly Play. It's so good. It's so good because you're telling the stories of the Bible, but you're not doing it in a way that's demanding their intellectual assent. You're doing it in a way that is provoking their imaginations, their thoughtfulness, and their questions. Mm-hmm. So like they, they come back to this tag, imagine if, or something like that. It's, it's, I wonder. I wonder. Yeah, that's it. I wonder. And then you just kind of get the kids to think beyond the stories that they've just heard, which I think is why Jude is in the back seat saying, I don't think I buy that because we're talking about magical snakes and fruit and two naked people in the garden. Like, just bells are going off for even a five year old saying, like, I've never seen a snake that talks except on Disney shows. Yeah. And that's not real. Yeah. And yet, Isn't that so bizarre? It's like Uh we squelch that usually and say, oh, but it is real. And then Jude is programmed from five years on never to ask questions about it ever again. One of my favorite godly play questions that they prompt you to use is what part, I wonder what part of the story we could, it doesn't say it like this, but I wonder what part of the story we could get rid of and still have everything we need. Yeah. Which you don't think of, even now I'm like, I can't get rid of anything that's in the... Still? My eyes are so big right now. (laughs) I know. Just for the listeners at home, like I shot up. I don't know. I think it's still so ingrained. I mean, I I don't know. I don't know. Oh man, I need to get to work. No, 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 no. (laughs) I I love that. And it, you know, but the thing about it is like you have that sort of community where you're asking these big questions. If Jude was to visit somewhere else, that would get, that would get squashed. Yeah. And then it's kind of, does your five-year-old go with what he's learned in this place or that place? I think, too, it also sort of teaches, like, there's 
it's possible to for the Bible to be an idol, right? Yes. So it teaches you to not... The Bible is not God. No. The Bible is not Jesus. So it teaches you to, to question the things that are in the book and to not... Not equate to that... To hold it high, but to not well, equate to... it with the same thing as it being God. Right. Questioning, and, questioning yeah. the Bible does not mean questioning God. Right. It means questioning this really old story and you're trying to figure out what it means and why it's there mm-hmm. so that that which part can you get rid of that's that's really cool yeah a lot of people would go immediately to like the the back half of revelation and say you can't add to it or take from it uh-huh. lest ye die yeah like, <laughs> like yikes, okay <laughs> so we really need all of this stuff I, it's funny too and we'll, we'll get to sermon stuff at, at some point I was in the car listening to, uh, just today, on the way to dropping the kids off, after I had dropped them off, I was listening to the 1619 Project, which is this collection of essays about you know racism in America, more or less. And it was talking about um, some of the laws that were on the books prior to the Civil War about how the um, the offspring of slaves were viewed as the property of the slave master, mm-hmm. not the woman, yeah. the, the mom, or even the the man, the father. Right. If the father was not the slave master, which is a whole another thing, but it was like all these laws on the books that were written to try to protect the powerful and it just made me think about how you know we can't even go back 150 years in our nation's history to seeing the law code as this pristine thing yep yet we sort of have this inbuilt bias that we can read Leviticus mm-hmm. and be like oh yeah but those are good uh-huh. those those are the ones right. we're going to we're going to need that yep and so when people hear that, they think, oh, you have a low view of the Bible, which is what you just said. No, 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 no. I have a high enough view of the Bible to read it in its context and to see if it has any sort of significance for us today. Yeah. You know? Well, and I have a high enough view of the Bible to ask questions and let it be what it is rather than making it be what Oh, that's good. I say it is. I love that, Tessa. And I don't think you would have been able to say that six years ago, no, seven definitely years ago. definitely not. And that's a little bit of your other boss coming out to play here. That's a, that's a Pete Enns thing. I'm staring mm. at the book right now, how the Bible actually works. And this is this is his last three books. Really, are trying to help people realize: let the Bible be what the Bible is, and don't force it into this round hole by ascribing words like inerrancy, infallibility, inspiration, like whatever we say that makes us read it in a way that is contorted and tortured Mm -hmm. just let it be what it is i think i had a little bit of that too when we read um was it the blue parakeet yeah Mm -hmm. who was that book by that's scott mcknight and that's that's a that's a much i'll say safer Mm. introductory okay um scott is not as far gone as pete is (laughs) uh but it a lot of the same sorts of things are there where it's like you got to read the bible 
in its context, in its time, if you're going to have any chance of understanding what it is. Yeah. If anybody wants to follow up any of this, a great place to start. You kind of have to be like nerd level two out of a nerd level five scale. Okay. So like you're nerd two of five. Uh-huh. A good book would be, it's called A High View of Scripture, question mark, by a, uh, a Canadian so it's professor. A High View of Scripture? Question mark. Uh, his name is Craig Allert, A-L-L-E-R-T. And his whole thing is talking about the formation of the New Testament, hmm. which didn't happen like overnight, right? There's all sorts of fingerprints and, and you know, hands and decisions that are on this collection. And it's not as easy as us saying, oh, well, the Spirit inspired it. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. But also there's a lot of stuff that goes in between. I believe he, he puts the, the canonization of the New Testament in the 4th century, if my memory is serving correct. And a lot of other people want to push that back earlier to the 2nd century. He's saying, there's a lot of stuff going on here. And I don't want you to go to Da Vinci Code type stuff where there's all these conspiracies behind the scenes. But there's just a lot of history leading into us deciding and I'm using that word pretty literally, us deciding which books are in the canon. And he leads all of that out and how it impacts our view of inerrancy, inspiration, and what the Bible is. Really fun and fascinating hmm. book. And you'll get to meet all kinds of early church fathers and what they're saying about the Bible and what it is and what belongs and what doesn't. And it's it's fun. There's also a, a podcast with him from the Bible for normal people that you could listen to as well. Little shout out there. Shout it out. <laughs> you got into that mic like you were going to say something know of I significance. <laughs> and I was waiting for it. And then you're like, shout it out. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we also got, we've, we, Tess and I have been kicking around whether or not we should be talking about like the life of, of the church. Cause this podcast really is for, TRP and TRP adjacent people, but we also kind of hope that it finds itself It'd be into. Cool if it went beyond that. Yeah, because I mean, we're talking about the Bible and we're talking about things that are you know Bible related, mm-hmm. but also there's this kind of like homegrown. Initially, when we started it, it was like, hey, if you missed what we did on Sunday in our conversation, our sermon conversation, listen to the podcast and you'll kind of get caught up because you know Tess and I will kick it around. Mm-hmm. So this is this this one's like germane to. TRP, but it's funny. So I wanted to bring everyone in on this. Like we've been watching these Christmas movies that are intentionally uh, selected because they're so terrible. Yes. I mean, these are like some of the worst movies you could think of. They're all over Netflix right now. And if you just need to turn your brain off for 90 minutes or two and a half hours some of these are like when will this be over you know they're so long it's like what are you doing we did look for a time limit yeah we had we had to get to 90 minutes yeah because our associate minister will fall asleep within the first 40 regardless Mm -hmm. of of its yeah cinematic uh, beauty (laughs) and meaning but we've got one that's queued up for this week that we're just really psyched about oh yeah uh tessa help us understand the world of (laughs) the holly star yes so it's called holly star I don't know if that's her name or we will why find out. it's called that. We're going to find out soon. Um, I have two different synopses that's right. here. Um, the first is a cash-strapped puppeteer returns home for the holidays and gets caught up. Pause, yes. Yeah. A cash 
strapped puppeteer. Is I'm, there any other kind of puppeteer? I'm sold. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to the, the wealthy, the lucrative. Yes. Well, if you I'm talk sure to some of the people are. that are the puppeteers on Sesame Street, well, I mean, now we're talking like. Do we think they make a lot? Do you I think hope they make a lot? Do you think Sesame Street is like the Saturday Night Live equivalent yes, for a comedian? It's gotta be like the puppeteers going into their Sesame Street or auditions. The Muppets. I just want to see some of these audition tapes. You know, like Big Bird's replacements audition tape. Do I'd they? Love- <laughs> do you think they bring in their own puppets for their audition? Yeah, their own characters. Like I'm, I've been Whoa. working on this puppet because because most of them I think make part of the puppeteering is making your puppets. Yeah, it's not just the voices. So you, like you you're at the writers' table and they s- submit these. Oh, ideas. this is getting good. Why isn't someone making a real movie about? Well, maybe this is it. But I mean, I'm thinking like a I doubt this like is a it. like a Judd Apatow sort of film that's yeah. funny behind the scenes because the guy in um. Jason Siegel's character in Forgetting Sarah Marshall mm-hmm. was writing that rock opera performed by puppets. <laughs> you know, that could have been a feature all on its own. Just Jason Siegel being a, a puppet man. Well, and then he was in the um, the Muppet movie. Yeah. Gosh, he just really is. He just likes puppets. All right. So anyway. cash strap puppeteer, what, what's going to happen? <laughs> she uh, returns home for the holidays and gets caught up in a treasure hunt with her paintball obsessed best friend. Her tango dancing grandmother and a childhood sweetheart. There's just a lot of things happening here. You got a tango dancing grandmother, mm-hmm. and of course the childhood sweetheart, which is you know part of the the, the motif of any good of holiday course. film. Yes. The other synopsis says, "Home for the holidays, a broke puppeteer. You know, same difference. Yeah. Knows there's treasure buried somewhere under her town. To find it, all she has to do is die." Almost. <laughs> These are very different <laughs> synopses. I know. What and what's the tagline on the Netflix, um, like the the box, if you will? Isn't it like sometimes the treasure is buried in you? No, I think it says sometimes the treasure finds you. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I hope everyone is enjoying these terrible holiday films. Me I will. Too. I'm ex- I get excited every Thursday when we do it. I will be honest and let. Can we get a little PG-13 here for a second? Sure. Some churches love puppets. This is true. I I was I I think I became a Christian. I like that the the PG-13 section started with some churches love <laughs> puppets. <laughs> yeah. I think I became a Christian because of puppets to some to some degree. Which is weird because I do not like mascots. I do not like Oh my gosh, one of my bucket list items is to be a mascot for at least a day. No, like where? Anywhere. I'll be the Chick-fil-A cow. I don't care. I'm sure they'd let you. You just walked in and said, hey, I'd like to wear this costume. I actually did look look into being um, Sammy the Seagull. That is the (laughs) SU uh, mascot here in Salisbury. And that is, uh, that's unfortunate. But anyway, I- uh, (laughs) Wow. Well, I think in order to be a good mascot, you've got to you've got to do some back handsprings. You've got to you've got to get your tumbling game. I'm not doing that. A bit stronger. No. So what would you do? Just go around with a little guitar. I'll go to and Disney sing and be songs? Elmo or something. I see. I Elmo also doesn't do handsprings. I've also heard really funny stories about like the the tunnels of Disney, where it's like you've got Cinderella smoking a cigarette in a in a long <laughs> hallway on a break. You know? Yeah. That's just funny. I don't smoke, but maybe I'll pick it up. Just when for I the go day. Disney. Can you just for the day? Sure. Do that. Yeah. That'd be awesome. So anyway, I think I was, I think I became a Christian because of uh, puppets. I at least know there was a black light 
involved and a, and a, like a flannel graph because I'm old. Yeah. So that was my cutting edge technology were, were puppets and flannel graphs. When you hit a black light, like the Jesus would just shine. Wow. And it was like, oh my gosh. Illuminating. I must submit my four-year-old self to this rabbi. Yes. I must reject my sinful ways. <laughs> this tiny flannel graph. Yeah. Well, graph. Graph. What, what was I doing as a four-year-old? You know? That's a what real the, good question. What were the, the main sin patterns in my life? Oh, is that what you mean? Well, if the whole pitch is like, stop sinning and follow Jesus. Like, what's a four-year-old thinking at this point? I don't know, but I do remember going to confession and confessing that I wasn't listening to my parents. And he, the priest asked for an example, and I said that I didn't blow my nose. And they told me to. What did the priest say? Ten Hail Marys. Uh, probably. Go with God. I, what? I don't I mean, remember. see, this is just like you're you're propping up these power structures where, yeah. I mean, you're a... Anyway. Okay, yeah. So, so churches, puppets made you a Christian. Churches like puppets. And it wasn't too long ago when I stumbled upon an announcement in a church bulletin looking for people to participate in the puppet ministry people with a passion for church. puppets and you know what you took the words right out of the the mouths of the writers of this ad i'm looking at it right here i just want to oh boy the headline says puppets looking for a few good arms <laughs> which is kind of, okay that's funny that's, that's funny yeah that's funny but then it gets more um some more some pathos that's some 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 like you know some some chutzpah. Oh, oh, it, like, okay. it, it turns uh-huh. a corner. It's like, I want you to think about your life and the decisions that you've made up in to re- this in point. In relation to puppets. Have you longed for the thrill of the stage? Yes. Yearned. Yearned for the excitement of performing? Sure, yeah. Travel? Question mark? Yeah. And this is where it gets This is where it gets weird. Like up till that, we're like, okay. Yeah, like I'm on board. They're, they're, I, do, I do want to travel. Yeah. And I have longed for the thrill of the stage and yearned yeah. for the excitement yep. of performing. And I have two good arms. So 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 far, you're I'm exactly ready. what they want. I'm here. I'm ready to go. Have you also been longing or yearning for the challenge of working with your hands while down on your knees? <laughs> <laughs> if so, then join this puppet ministry. And I'm just thinking like, how did this thing get through? Who's who's proofreading? I this? don't think anybody proofread Who, that. Who's thinking like working with your hands while sweet down old, on your knees? Sweet Marge was probably just she just wrote it up. She was like, "This is and good." Sweet Marge is thinking like, God, "Yes, this is this exactly is it. it. This I is going to get us who we this. need." I have longed for these things, and other people have too. They want to work with their hands while on their on knees. knees. Yep. Okay. Well. We're going to be watching Holly Star, and, and, and we will report back. If anybody really is, is interested in, in the details on this puppet ministry, I can hook you up with the deets. So <clears throat> drop a comment below. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a comment box. I don't know where you would go to put a comment. If you're on SoundCloud, just drop a little comment. Text say, me. I at... want to work with my hands. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Advent. Advent week three. Week Cue three. the bumper music. <laughs> I hear it. Wow.
All right, we're ethereal. back. And we're, we're talking about, yes, a very ethereal bumper music. We're talking about John the Baptist again because any good Christmas begins with locusts, with eating locusts and honey. See, yep. it actually, it begins with the birth announcements of John the Baptist. This is where um, Matthew and Luke point us. But again, Advent is weird. Because it it's kind of this in between the first coming of Jesus, his birth, like Christmas, as we think about it, and the second coming of Jesus, which is a lot more intense. It, in fact, like the the last verse of the assigned text for this week, it talks about uh, the the messianic figure, the Jesus figure, who has his winnowing fork in his hand, which again just you know, Tessa, your name means reaper. I think that there's sure a lot does. of, you can you can identify with this winnowing activity. Yes, it's just part of who I am. Yeah, this, it's just. I was winnowing just yesterday. Inbuilt. Yeah. Yes. So you're you're tossing up the, the wheat to remove the chaff. Like when you toss it up, the wheat stays because it's heavy mm-hmm. and the chaff blows away because yes. it's lighter. Into the wind. Yeah, it's exactly what's happening. And this is what the messianic figure is doing. He's got his winnowing fork in, in his hand. He's clearing his threshing floor. So actually the winnowing has already taken place and we're just picturing the, the Messiah figure taking all of the good stuff, gathering the wheat into his granary. But the chaff, he's going to burn with unquenchable fire. Well, now this is this is not something that we talked about really on Sunday, nor is it really something I want to talk about today. But this second coming, this uh, Jesus restoring all things, this end of world sort of stuff. That's that's this is all anticipating that, and Advent places us in between eight pound, six ounce little baby Jesus lying in his ghost manger and. Dead and resurrected and ascended and returning Jesus with a winnowing fork ready to separate the good from the bad yeah. and unquenchable fires. Like it's that jump. That sort of imagery, which is not part of any Advent calendar that I know. I tried to tell the joke again on Sunday that, you know, it just would warm my heart if somebody could make this Christmas card where you've got all your Christmas sweaters and you're like in a little sleigh and there's some fake snow and you're out in the middle of a field, you know, like these photographers are doing with their little Christmas mini shoots where it's like, get in this sleigh in your pajamas in the middle of a cornfield. Yes. It's just so bizarre. It is. To like, me. how did this Victorian couch end up in this right. field? Right. <laughs> just like, oh, where'd this old this old truck come from? Yeah. And why are we out in the middle of a, of a field? But anyway, at the top, I just want it to say, but the chaff, he will burn with unquenchable fire. <laughs> if you want to send me a photo of your family. Oh, please. I will make that for you for free. Oh, free of free charge. Of charge. And you might use it for promotional considerations. Oh, I will. But because I mean, that's. Gosh, but also that is, free Christmas cards, though. That is, that's something. So John the Baptist, like we're in this weird weird in-between time, and we're hearing a lot of adult John the Baptist. Last week, we talked about the beginning of John the Baptist ministry in the book of Luke in chapter 3. This is after all of the birth announcements of of John the Baptist and the birth announcements of Jesus and the actual birth of John the Baptist and the actual birth of Jesus. Then it kind of fast-forwards us up, you know, 26 years or so into the future, 
26 to 30 years in the future where we have adult John the Baptist out in the wilderness and he's uh, proclaiming this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We spent all of our time last week talking about how we import so many ideas of baptism and repentance and forgiveness back onto this text when really what John was talking about was creating a movement that would usher in God's kingdom. The way that John saw it was the stars are aligning, metaphorically speaking, and someone who is better than me, superior to me, more powerful than me, uh, maybe more necessary than me, the person who's going to, you know, winnow and I think that's the verb, uh, winnow and separate and have a baptism of Holy Spirit and fire, kind of, this person is going to initiate the end, Mm -hmm. right? So in John's mind, this is like you align with this move and you prepare the way for this to happen. That's what you're being baptized to be involved in. Now, before we get into the new stuff, because this week the text has us talking about um, John's engagement with the different groups of people who are coming out into the wilderness to be baptized by him. Before we actually get there, I want to I want to go back in time for a bit and think about John the Baptist just as a character in the story. Because in chapter one, like some of the first things that Luke cares about uh, describing is this prophetic announcement that John is going to be born and that John has this work that he is supposed to do. Last week, Uh, John himself kind of characterized this by quoting the book of Isaiah, um, that he was going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And early on in chapter 1, these sorts of things are are kind of baked into the context as well. First of all, like John is a miracle baby because Zachariah's but old and Elizabeth is but old and they haven't been able to have children. And this miraculous baby is going to be born to these old parents And it's so fascinating because the angel who shows up, who is the same angel that will show up and talk to Mary later, says to Zechariah, who, by the way, is doing like his once-in-a-lifetime priestly duties. Like he's going in to to offer the incense. Was it really once-in-a-lifetime? Yeah, I think if I'm remembering correctly, I, I feel like I've read that somewhere where this was like something that would not happen more than once in one's priestly lifetime so in this moment like he has this revelation this angel is there and the angel says your prayers have been heard what prayers what what prayers <laughs> when prayers what, which what, prayers are you referring yeah, like, to what are we talking about it's important that i know which one is but old zachariah still praying for a baby or has he recognized maybe it's an old prayer that, that's why, I mean. but then like, so is the angel saying, oh, that prayer you prayed 20, uh, 25 years ago, that's been heard. It was just sitting up I there. It, it got, took you a while. It got lost. It got lost. Like you were talking uh, the other day about how, um, I forget, we do so many different versions of this. Yeah. I don't remember if this was on the recorded version or not, but when you were talking about like you forgot to respond to an email from October. That was today. I know, but was that in the recorded version or was that in one no, that I no, erased? No. No, okay, you erased so, it. So Tessa earlier was talking about how 
you know, somebody somebody emailed her <laughs> we back in October. We were talking about our anxieties. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I woke up today and realized I forgot to respond the point is, like, to an email from October. That I was got lost in the sauce. That And that was only two, two and a half months ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And now we're talking like... This angel. Oh, the one, that one that... You, like, think about what you were praying for 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Think about what, like, what in the... It's just, it's so crazy to me what what that what that is mm-hmm. this whole this whole story is crazy but but what i want to get to is this kid what if he didn't want it anymore <laughs> yes okay like yeah. i prayed for this 10 years ago, oh no no i mean like we're good we're no, fine <laughs> yeah we don't need any children anymore we, yeah. we've, we've kind of gotten used to our lifestyle now actually we're gonna go to uh, greece next uh yeah. next week we we've already got bought a, the tickets we, I'm, I'm doing my once in a lifetime deal we're gonna go celebrate yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, i mean clearly in the ancient world having a kid would have been i guess it'll be a baby moon yeah <laughs> Our yeah, degrees. It 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 would have been like a thing, where no one would have ever wanted to rescind that because right. this is like your 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 well, having kids was everything. It's yeah, like it was you're like you're carrying your on. name, your yeah. lineage, your. There's a word that is better describing of this, like that that thing, the legacy, mm-hmm. the the legacy that you'll leave is tied up in the kids that you have, and mm-hmm. if you don't have any, it's like well. Was there also was there an element of being taken care of by your kids? More, I think that's more for women. Okay, uh, but I mean, at some point, Zachariah like is going to be so old. Didn't have a husband, but she had a son. The yeah. son would okay. yes. But also, I, I'm I'm wondering, like, I think I think Zachariah's priestly duties would have kept him in the priesthood. I feel like that's a lifetime appointment. Mm. You know, I don't think it's like oh, I'm 65 now. I'm going to go retire. Yeah, not going to be a priest anymore. I think you I just can kinda, order off of the. Uh, discount menu at right Denise. i think you do that until you're dead okay so like I, when i when i went to that monastery a few years ago mm-hmm. it was so bizarre because all the guys 90 percent of them were like 80 plus yeah and one of one of the things that they wanted intentional prayer for was for young people to become part of the monastery so that it just didn't die Oh my gosh. You know? So having kids is a big deal. I yeah. think that this family would have been taken care of because of the fact that Zachariah is a priest. I think. I don't know that. That's just my best guess. Um, but still, you know, we're kind of tongue in cheek that they're not going to Greece. Yeah. And they're not excited about not having kids. So he might very well have been continuing to pray for this because this is a motif throughout the Bible where God is opening the wombs of women. Also mm-hmm. note here in the ancient world, this was always the woman's fault. Mm-hmm. It, it was always it was always her problem. Yeah, Zachariah has. You well, know, you know, Eve ate the fruit. So. Of course. Well, that no, that's that's <laughs> that, different. I know. But I mean, when you when you think about like um, fertility, mm-hmm. if if you're not having a baby, that's it's, her that's her problem. Yeah. You know, pretty straightforward. What I'm doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's probably just you know they weren't like assessing the sperm count no, back then. No, they weren't. But. With with John, it was like from the very beginning, he's had this destiny baked into his context. Right? Mm-hmm. First birthday. Oh, you're gonna be a you're gonna be a prophet who prepares the way of the Messiah. In fact, like when when the when uh John shows up and Zechariah begins singing this song, he says, You child will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. You will tell his people how to be saved through the forgiveness of their sins. Even there, too, flashback to last week, the same sort of stuff is embedded in that phrase. 
it's a it's an ex exile language. Mm, you know, okay. like you're gonna bring about this climactic change mm-hmm. more so than you're gonna take on, you know, Barabbas smoking cigarettes mm-hmm. behind the Wendy's. <laughs> like you're gonna take that mm-hmm. and you're gonna teach him how to be forgiven of that. That's not the thing. Gotcha. I was talking about smoking cigarettes behind a Wendy's because when I was 13 years old, oh, I, w- I went I went on this youth group trip and um, me and a couple friends, we had a pack of cigarettes and on our way to Philadelphia to go watch a 76ers game, we stopped off at a at this complex and there was a Wendy's and a, a McDonald's and a couple other places and we were the only people that wanted to go to Wendy's because we wanted to stand out back behind the Wendy's <laughs> and smoke cigarettes, which we also used to do this at youth group where we would leave youth group and go smoke cigarettes behind the gym and then go back inside and have you ever smelled somebody like coming in from smoking it's like what do we what did we think we were doing i don't know we weren't fooling anybody did they say anything it's like came in and smelled like cigarettes no well we got busted at the wendy's and the other time with at the gym no no, i don't think so now now was he having conversations with my parents and they weren't talking i don't know but yeah it's like um pig pen on uh on yeah. charlie brown it's it just like follows that, him around yeah, that, that cloud of dust was following <laughs> everyone but point is john has this sort of expectation around him so two weeks ago we didn't talk about this last week but i wanted to bring it back up today because i think it's it's a fun topic calling mm. that's that's the noise that tessa makes that's code for I've lost a lot of sleep over this. <laughs> it's just so loaded. <laughs> T- give me a sentence or and two about this. And even when people don't think that it's like a specific thing, they still use the word as though it's a specific thing. It's very frustrating to so, me. So what Tessa's talking about now is within <laughs> the Christian community, we still use terms like we're called to do X, Y, and Z. I, for example... Someone might say, I'm called to be a minister. And there's some of that language that's even like, you know, part of the ordination process. Like there's this internal calling where I feel like I, it's my duty uh, in some ways to lead this specific people in a pastoral context. Yes. And then it's the people's job to affirm that calling in me like that's language that's used Mm -hmm. i have a calling they see the calling they affirm the calling i'm a minister because i'm called to do it and people kind of take that and apply it to their different vocations it's like oh i'm called to be a college professor i'm called to be an artist i'm called to work at the wendy's i'm called to start my business i'm called to work on aisle 15 at lowe's Mm mm-hmm and usually, if you caught it, most people aren't talking about the Wendy's and the Lowe's as a, a calling. No. But the rest of them, yeah, you might yeah. think that because we import like, oh, you're good at this. You're called to do it. And we have these stories that kind of prop it up where John is called, quote unquote, in utero. Mm-hmm. He has his job requirements well before he sets foot on the earth. He will be the guy, as Zechariah says, who will lead the people and prepare the way for the Messiah. Right. And my question is, what the heck are we supposed to do with that? I have no idea. Yeah. This is a this is a stress inducer and an anxiety creator yes. for, for some people because 
you go about your lives trying to figure out what am I called to, and we equate that calling with paid vocation. In your view, is pastoral work an exception to the vocational, there's no vocational calling? No. But you, but. And listen, the way that. But that's how you talk about it. I, I, I relapse into calling language a lot. Because it's easy and because it's, it's, it's accepted and because people not named Tessa don't push on it too much. Uh-huh. But I w- this is what I would say. I could be any number of things vocationally. And I could really love it. And I could see it in hindsight as a calling to that. Because of my interests and because of my talents and because of my giftings and my preparation and my education and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So if I was a lawyer, I'd look back and say, yeah, I'm, I'm called to be a lawyer because I like to argue, because I like to read old you know, cases and try to be smarter than someone else, because I like to help people who are uh, facing an unjust, you know, legal decision Mm -hmm. see how good of a lawyer i would be (laughs) you know i mean so like you can see like oh i'm i'm built in this way and i bet that would make me enjoy this line of work now is that a calling technically speaking no i don't think so was i called from before you know birth to be a minister oh no no i don't think so now here's the weird part Okay, and I don't know what to do with this other than chalk it up to some to some craziness. But when I was in high school, I was trying to figure out what I what I was supposed to do with my life, which is a really silly thing for any 16 year old trying to discern. Right. Agreed. Yes. We force it on people way too young and first of all they have no idea what's out there and second of all they have no idea what they're good at i think even college is too young to what is it like your frontal lobe hasn't fully formed until you're like Mm mid-20s and yet we're saying all right take on hundred thousand dollars in debt to go into this line of work for two years before you decide you hate it and it's sucking the life out of you and then you can go be something else but i was in a, a religious setting in a chapel service And I remember, clear as day, praying for some guidance. This was in my super spiritual days. Yeah. And it was like the fleece moment. Like, I'm going to put out a fleece. Mm -hmm. I'm going to see if it, you know, gets the dew on it or Mm -hmm. it stays dry. Or let God, you you show up. And I said, you want me to go to Bible college and think about going down this route? Then you better let me know. Mm -hmm. And I think it was even as specific as, you better let this speaker, the pastor guy, tell me. Because I'm going to need a hand on the small of the back here. Mm -hmm. And I kid you not, within seconds of me thinking this prayer, that dude was sitting next to me saying, Josh, ever since the first moment I have met you, which was like two days ago. Uh Okay, so flags are going up. Yep. Now they are. Back then they were not. But he's saying, since the first time I ever met you, I've known that you were destined for full-time ministry. Mm-hmm. meaning like you're going to be a pastor, you're going to be a youth pastor, you're going to lead people in some spiritual way. Right. What the butt? Well, yeah, so that's the that's when I go like, how can you not 
think that there's wasn't there another time too? But also, okay, let, that let, this happened. Let me bring this in. I just, just don't. There, no, there, there was, there, there was like a, a month or so later. I was still kind of on the fence about things, and I was, you know, I don't remember if I was praying this time or if it just happened. But this guy was mid sermon again, same school chapel service, like not. It wasn't a big deal. There's like fifty of us. Who cares? But mid sermon, he stops turns his head over to me in the in a different section and says, "You know, I just got to say this. Josh, I think you've got something that's that's cooking here. I think you're going to go and do something and and it's going to be related to this." Mm-hmm. And then it was like he went back to his sermon. I'm like, "What what is happening?" You know? Yeah. Now, listen. A friend of mine was just telling me the other day that she she had experienced this like um uh, this allergic reaction to something that she did not know what it was. Uh-huh. She had eaten something, and I mean, you know, I think she's like mid thirties, so it's really bizarre that she would eat something that she didn't know that she was allergic to. It's pretty frightening, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and she flashed back to her church background, which was a lot more charismatic and Pentecostal. Actually, actually, point of contact, the same guy who got down and said, "Ever since the first moment I've met you," that was her youth pastor. Oh. Okay. Uh-huh. So there's there's some lines of connection here. But she said that someone had told her in her life back then that the only th- the only thing she would be allergic to was the devil. Oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> Which is a hilarious thing to say out loud and mean it to someone, you know? So she ate something that had the devil in it. Correct. Yeah. So she's like, I don't know if the devil was, I think this was her, one of her Instagram posts. Like, was it the eggs or was it the, you know, and she like listed these things like, what's, what's the devil here? Jeez. Oh, because I mean, she's aware that that's a silly thing to say. So you've got these stories like mine where it works out and you've got these other stories of insane stuff that has no basis of being true whatsoever. And now that I'm thinking about it, Tessa, you know this. How often do I tell people to go to seminary? Fairly often. Pretty often, right? Yeah. I, for some reason, am still a fan of formal theological education, and I want people to do what I do. So if I see anything Mm -hmm. whatsoever in you— I will say you should consider this Mm -hmm. because you could be a really dynamic minister. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take much for me to say that. And I have said that. I almost sent you. I did send you. Did you get that email I sent you the other day about that class? It was like like a theology and the arts sort of scenario. But it was like this blending together of high-level theological thinking and creativity and Hmm. artistic stuff and they have a whole program that's based on the marrying of these two it's completely worthless from a vocational standpoint you will dump 45 to 50 grand in getting this degree that will not open up any doors for you whatsoever right but in my mind i'm thinking like gosh that would be so awesome if tessa could take all of her beautiful creativity and marry that with formal theological training Uh uh-huh Right? And you're laughing because it sounds stupid. No, it doesn't sound stupid. But this is purely me saying, do what I do. Uh Uh-huh. 
right? Because yeah. I'm lonely and I want more friends <laughs> that do what I do. Uh-huh. So looking back, like, this guy's not Nostradamus. He sees he sees a guy in a high school setting who has some level of influence over people because they can play soccer. You know what I mean? Which at a Christian school, that's kind of what it is. You're a good basketball player, you can lead people. You're good you're good at uh you know, performance arts, like you can lead people. You have you you get good grades, you can lead people. And ministers might see that and say, like capitalize on it. You could, if you put your mind to it, do what you're doing, but do it for Jesus. So go get trained. And he wasn't saying go and get trained. I don't know if he went to school. It would or be whatever. hard for me to dismiss those though. Because I don't... one of them was in the middle of Yeah, but that's that's really just Didn't following a rabbit trail. Didn't something happen at the Grand Canyon too? So we were on our way. Kate and I got married in July of 2008, and a lot of my PhD program was falling apart around that time. In fact, I had unilaterally decided that we would move to California <laughs> around May before our July wedding. Now, we, the plan wasn't to go until the following year because Kate needed to graduate, but I had sort of... I had taken, when she said, I'll go with you wherever we need to go as a golden ticket. Oh, boy. Right? And she didn't mean it that way. She just meant, I understand that you're called. She would use that word, and I would too. Mm-hmm. I, listen, listen, baby, I am called to the ministry. <laughs> and if God calls me to Colorado, we've got to go. Because mm-hmm. this was the whole, like, if you're going to marry me, you have to know this sort of stuff. Yeah. Which this is in a different lifetime when my theology was way stupider than it is now and it was kind of like i'm the head of the household like all of that toxicity that comes along with conservative i imagine her saying she'd go wherever you go didn't mean (laughs) make this decision it did not mean that yeah so it was it was very it was very different in her thinking but it ended up me sort of saying hey my advisor is sort of being booted out of this school for being an normal thoughtful human being Mm -hmm. and i need to go somewhere else and i ended up being rescued by who the man who became my doctor vater Mm -hmm. i use that german there wow phd students love using that stupid word because it's the only time you get to what what is that well i I, think literally it's sort of like the a father figure in your doctorate like he the supervisor gotcha but I sent a rescue email to him, and he's at Fuller Seminary, or was at Fuller Seminary out in Pasadena, California. He was like, yeah, come on out. So anyway, we're on our way to California, which this was – Kate and I have had some milestone markers in our marriage. California, in years two to three and a half, was a milestone marker because she was ticked mm-hmm. that I had made this decision, and we had not really resolved that or talked about it. So she was like really depressed when we were in California mm-hmm. pretty much the entire time. And unbeknownst to me, well, I knew that she was sad about it. But I didn't know why. And I, I just, I couldn't put all these pieces together because I was an idiot. Yeah. Still am just in different ways. <laughs> but we're at the Grand Canyon on our road trip, which was awesome. On that road trip, she got a job in Pasadena when we were in Nashville. Mm-hmm. So like in my mind thinking like, oh, the Lord provides. We're supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. And then when we get to the Grand Canyon, we're sitting there and somehow we meet this guy 
who hears about what we're doing, like, oh, we're going cross-country, to go, going to seminary, and, you know, I'm doing this PhD thing. And he had some connection with the school that I was going to, and his wife had written a book that was published by a legit publisher. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't like, I wrote this book in my basement, and I published it myself, uh-huh. which is a pet peeve of mine. Uh, yep. But it was a legitimate book, and it was called, like, a... And again, this in hindsight, this is embarrassing, but it was something like a minister's wife's mm-hmm. survival guide to <laughs> seminary. And we think, oh, another sign. So we're, we're like, we're like looking in the stars and we're like reading the signs and like we're both kind of thinking like, I guess we're I mean, supposed to be going. I how could you not though? That's such a crazy... Well, first of all, I mean, that book's trash. Uh, a minister's wife's survival. Okay. Like, okay, how, but... how how patriarchal are we trying to be here, for one? Uh, you know, and, and for two, like, Kate's not going to sit around crocheting while I'm learning theology because she's not able to learn theology. Is that what the books are? I don't know. Probably not. Okay. <laughs> but, well. but, I mean, you can turn a lot of things into supernatural signs. That's That's kind of the point. Yeah. And for me, like I've used those moments, not the, not any of the California trip. I chalk that up to you were an idiot, Josh, and you should have been aware of all the things that you were making your wife feel. But the stuff like the the chapel services and the one guy looking over in mid sermon, I still look back at those on tough days sometimes and say, "There's something here, mm-hmm. maybe." But I've also come to know, like I don't, I don't have to do that. If yeah. I if I if I cease if I step down if TRP folds if I get a different opportunity that doesn't mean that I'm shirking the call of God. No, I could be doing any other sort of thing vocationally, and still be within my calling. Because you know where this is going. Yeah. Because to me, the calling has nothing to do with your vocation. It has to the calling do, is the same for everybody. It has to do with loving God and loving your neighbor. Right? Yep. So like this call for Christians to follow Jesus. Here's the deal. If you're like in high school listening to this podcast, first of all, cool. Thanks for coming. Yeah, what? <laughs> You've stuck it out. Welcome. And you went through the PG-13 moments. Like, great. Yeah. All right. Nice for you. <laughs> but like if you're thinking about college and if you're debating between school A and school B, I got news for you. God will be wherever you go. Yep. God's not like hanging out in in commons at Liberty University and only Liberty University. No. Good grief. Not at all. God is wherever you go, and you'll be okay whatever track you decide to pursue. Some are better. Some are worse. Mm -hmm. Some are more uh, part of your personality. I've seen people make bad decisions about vocations knowing they're not going to work out because they're not— their temperament is wrong. Mm-hmm. Their interests are wrong. Their talents are wrong. You know what I mean? Like, if I tried to be, uh, let's say, like a social worker, that would be bad for me. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I don't know if I have the constitution to be able to be in the midst of these really insanely difficult situations with people. Well, there's like anything, you have to use wisdom in figuring out what. Yeah. What you are good at. What you what enjoy you lean towards, yeah. What you enjoy, what gets your heart going, you know. Whether like, you want to work with people or you'd rather work in solitary, solitary confinement. Yeah, <laughs> That's absolutely. Not solitude. I was gonna say <laughs> solitude, but then yeah, whatever. 
No, but those those are all the things. That's what you should be weighing, and I think that's what God is asking us to do. Like, hey, be wise. Yeah. You use use your use your brain here that I've given you to make these decisions that will set you up for personal gratification and success. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's almost like on the back end of that, God saying like, and I'll be with you. Mm-hmm. Same same with marriage. You find somebody that you're that you like. Don't think, um, is this the one? Stop it. That's been a change for me, too. Stop it. Why? Because you used to be a, a sappy romantic who thought there was one person I mean, in the I'm world? I still a sappy romantic, I think. But yes, I used to think there was one. Well, there there is. It's the person that you find and that you marry. Right. This, this is... This but is, but they're, you know what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. This is completely devoid of romance. Okay. But me saying like Kate is the one uh-huh. because we signed because the papers. We chose each other. We chose each other and yeah. we choose each other yes. every day. <laughs> Which is honestly That's pretty better. romantic. Yeah. But I mean, I think Kate and I over thirteen years have probably looked across the table and thought to ourselves, is this person the most suited for me? Like is my life the easiest with this person? The answer to that is probably not. I remember talking about this topic with Kate one time. She, was I not here? I don't remember. <laughs> now that, now like, that he's not here, let me no, tell you some things. No, no, but she did say something like, if there is one person, he's not it. That's real sweet, <laughs> wife. No, but she's right. Um, and I've, I've, I've said similar things to her. Now, she she's my lady. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a gross sort of way. Like, no. And I'm her man. Yeah. And we're going to work our butts off yep. to try to, you know, make our lives happy and healthy and whole and make our kids be in a in a situation where they can thrive. And, mm-hmm. and it's not always easy. But you kind of, you do away with this. Is there one person out there? No. There's lots of different people. And the way that your relationship will look when you decide to marry them it will be different comparatively speaking. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the problem with within a marriage because then some people start buying into that too much. And they say, well, they're not the one, but I bet there's one who's closer to the one somewhere else. Mm. That's the problem. Yeah. And I think that's the problem too from a vocational standpoint as well. If you're just perpetually discontent, like this is fun, but I bet there's something better. What an awful way to to exist. live yeah yeah so i mean john the baptist gosh i don't know what to do with that i don't like to put him in a different class where it's like oh he was called but nobody else is called yeah i just kind of feel like he's he's got this thing well, maybe it's could it is it possible that it's just part of the storytelling yes absolutely because when you think about these moments in the bible when people are called to something, it's it's like a it's it's a it's a retroactive sort of thing. Like when Jeremiah right. is talking about being called in the womb, like okay, Jeremiah, but you're also an insane prophet. So like you can look back and say, and it'd be like you saying like, I I knew from my very beginning that I was called to be an artist because as a four year old I used to take watercolors and create these Monet like lily pads. Because you did something dumb like that, didn't you? 
you could come up with a weird story about you being an artist at a young oh, age. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Or even now, like, you are the the wonderfully weird person that you are, <laughs> and you can look back and see traces of yeah. that all the way through. Yeah, because it's it's funny because you can, wherever you end up, there's going to be footprints yeah. of where you, you Because you don't just teleport. You don't just, yeah, exactly. You've You've walked there. And I don't know, I mean, the whole an angel shows up thing makes this weird. And I bet most people would say like, oh, well, he's different because an angel showed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know. I... And also like the whole nature nurture. If, let's just, let's just say, Gabriel really showed up to talk to Zachariah and Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Kids screwed. Right? John has no chance of being anything other than a ridiculous prophet who goes out into the wilderness to prepare the way for the Messiah because mom and dad have been on his butt since he was born Mm -hmm. saying this is the stuff you're going to do. Like every freaking birthday, Zachariah would wheel out some prophecy saying like, you're going to prepare the... Shut up, dad! I know (laughs) what I'm going to do! How long did they live after... I wonder if... Because they were old, right? Yeah, so like in But in, how old was old back then? Well, I mean, we talked about this last week, I think. So so John, this would have been, you know, probably he was born a few months before Jesus, so he would have been he was, 30, yeah. late 20s or, or 30ish. Yeah. People don't really know how old Jesus was when he died. Um but Some you know, people guess he's around 32 or something. Conventional, like that. yeah, they would say yeah. he started at 30 and he died at 33. I I don't I forget what that's based on, but Mm-hmm. I'd say 28 to 33 in that range. So, I mean, yeah, he's been at home for a while listening to his mom and dad wheel out these stories like, oh, I remember when the angel Gabriel showed up, John, <laughs> and he told me uh, that you were going to be a, a prophet like the one that was talked about in in sacred passages foretold, mm-hmm. you know? I wonder and, if it looked how they were expecting. Were they expecting him to be eating locusts and Yeah, honey. because prophets were insane. Yeah, that's true. Now, okay, that most of them. Some of them were more like courtly prophets, so they mm-hmm. were in uh, you know, in kingly settings. They were not necessarily the ones who were eating bread baked over poop. <laughs> uh, Yum. That's that's an Ezekiel thing. He was crazy. Ezekiel bread? Like <laughs> Is that how they make it? Uh, you know what? They I cook it over poop? I don't know. I do not know the connection there, but I hope not. But yeah, like that that's a guy like who's sort probably more closely akin to the uh homeless person on the street who nobody wants to pay attention to. Mm. Who's out who's got a who's got some sort of like loudspeaker saying at the end time like just hair disheveled craziness. Crazy you, you think like I corner. need to stay away from this yeah. person. That's where some of the prophets were like that. And yeah, John certainly embodied embodied that. Well, yeah, calling, man. It's a it's a it's a weird and tough thing. And hopefully we can There's just so much stuff people bring with them when you talk about it. Yeah. And it's just so loaded. And usually like if some if there's like a, a college kid or something that says like, oh, I just really feel called to whatever, I just kinda smile and nod like, Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well and then add God's going to go with you wherever you go. Mm-hmm. Can't shake him. Yeah. You know, he's kind of... Uh, it's not like he's 
waiting for you at seminary. And that's what I mean. You're, yeah, like, you're standing him up if you don't go. Or it's like when you get married, you're just hoping that that God's going to be, you know, at at the altar with your partner. Yeah. And it might like, oh no, I picked the wrong one. Yeah. Like, stop it, stop it. You're called to love God and love people and to be a good spouse and to, you well, know, that's a choice too. To, all of it to make him part of, or to make them part of your. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a lot. There's a lot going on here. All right, so we're we're into it a bit here, uh, which means we're not going to spend a lot of time on what I actually talked about on Sunday because we haven't even touched that yet. Oh boy. Yes, but I do want to introduce this because John's out in the wilderness and he sees people coming to participate in this baptism. Oh, this is part two from last week. This this right? is this is this is yeah this is Sunday's passage where John is now interacting with these people groups. Because in, in the first week, um, which would be Advent week two, John is sort of just announcing, I am preparing the way. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff is about to happen, and you need to align yourself with the move of God. But then people start coming out, and John gets ticked at who is coming out. So in, in verse 7, it says, he says to the crowds, that come out to be baptized by remember he's out in the regions of the Jordan. They're having to leave their place. Like people don't live where John is baptizing. They're leaving where they live to go be near him to be baptized in the Jordan river. Do you imagine it being far? Like are people traveling? I don't know. I I don't know enough about the geographical region, Mm -hmm. but in my mind's eye, it is sparsely populated. Yeah. So you're kind of, walking out to the wilderness almost like um you know those clips of woodstock 69 <laughs> yeah like all the cars and they just kind of summiting these hills and they're uh-huh. walking into nothingness uh-huh. <laughs> that's that's kind of how i view this oh, so boy. you got all these cars parked and they're uh-huh. all these hippies are coming over the hill <laughs> to where john is at the main stage mm-hmm. Jimi hendrix off to the side playing the national anthem right clearly yes a lot of no doubt know, a lot of america mm-hmm. happening here but he says to these people, he says, you brood of vipers, which is always a fun way to introduce a conversation, you know? That's how I just walk into every room pretty yeah. much. You just walk into the local coffee shop. You yep. brood of vipers. Yep. I'll have an oat milk uh, yeah. caramel latte. <laughs> thank you so much. Please. Thank you. Side note. Uh, no. Uh, yes. Okay. Side note. I feel like Mike, I've been getting hot coffee here recently. Mm-hmm. I usually am an iced guy. Yeah. Well, it's hot coffee. Hot, hot coffee season. Hot, hot. We used to um, go to the the local, uh, what would you call it? It's like a, a rehabilitation facility, but for elderly people. Yeah. And there was this one guy there named Reginald. Mm. And every time he'd be drinking coffee. And it'd be like, anytime during the day or night, Reginald's got coffee. He'd mm-hmm. wake up at 3 a.m. to go talk to his friend who, I forget what his friend's name was, but he'd have coffee with him. Like, oh you want to drink some coffee? And then he'd say to, to me, like, I love coffee. <laughs> I love my coffee. Hot! Oh my God. <laughs> I, I say that all the what time. A treasure. He passed away a few years ago. Oh. Yeah, but I think about him a lot. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he would not like this coffee because whenever I'm getting a hot latte, it's not hot. Like I can immediately drink it. Which I ma- got a hot latte recently and it wasn't very hot. Which either. makes me think of my cousin who gets all of her drinks Extra at, hot. at kids' temperature. Oh, no. <laughs> so, she, so she's, you know, like mid-20s, uh, late, late-20s, and she's like at Starbucks, I'll have um, uh, peppermint, she can't. mochaccino, 
kid's temperature. She can't handle it. I just think it's so funny. That is really funny. Okay. You should maybe order extra hot next time. I know, like make my coffee. And I'll do it like Reginald. I want my coffee. Oh, my hot, hot. <laughs> oh, Reginald, rest in peace. Rest in power. Okay. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? John's ticked because he sees the people coming over the hill and he's like, you don't belong here. Get out of my space. I don't want to baptize you, you viper. You know? What? <laughs> he's he's ticked because he's, he's convinced and he knows that these people are showing up simply and solely to hedge their bets. To check off the list. To check off the box, to make sure they're okay. Because because he goes on to say, like, um, well, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Mm-hmm. You could translate this in a different way or interpret it in a different way. Who's shown you what you're supposed to do. Who told you to come out here? Mm -hmm. It wasn't me. Yeah. You don't belong here. You're Mm. a scoundrel. Mm -hmm. You're a viper. Get out of here. Because in John's mind, you only do what you need to do to check off the box, to escape the wrath to come, Mm -hmm. to be on the right team. But you yourself are an idiot and your life shows no fruit. Mm. Because he goes on to say, "Who, who told you to come out here? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Which is sort of like the the hook. We could have gone with the Jesus winnowing fork and unquenchable fire, that weirdo thing. But for me, the hook is bear fruits worthy of repentance. Don't say to yourself, John says, that we have Abraham as our ancestor. Mm -hmm. Because when people were saying this, it's like, we're in the family. We're good. We just need to check off the right ritual boxes and we'll be fine. And John's saying, no, you won't. So so he's saying, have your life show something that's worthy of the of what you've been given or the when he says, yeah, that's good of the forgiveness that you've been given. Or maybe it wouldn't have been said like that back then. But well, yeah. So there, there's this there's this thing in Jewish in Jewish thinking. Uh, there was this guy named E.P. Sanders, Duke professor, back in 1977. He wrote this book that was a bombshell because prior to this, and, and I should rephrase, Sanders was not the first one to come up with this, but he's taking these ideas from a guy named Davies and a guy named Montefiore. Is he related to Colonel Sanders? <laughs> I, no. <laughs> okay, great. I wish, but yeah. no. He's always showing up to class with a bucket of chicken. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're talking about <laughs> Jewish law keeping today. No, but he. So he took stuff from these two he, different he, guys. Yeah, right. So I just want to give credit where credit is due. He takes yeah. he takes these ideas that are sort of out there in in the upper atmosphere, and he brings them okay. into New Testament studies. Because the thing that he's looking at is a bunch of rabbinical writings, a bunch of non-biblical Jewish texts, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from like the Pseudepigrapha and from other. Deuterocanonical Tuesdays. Yeah, other Deuterocanonical sources, of course. Obviously, obviously, <laughs> um, and also the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were mm-hmm. texts created by a community, sort of like John, that were that left, that left Jerusalem, that left their places, and they created this sort of like mini fortress where nerdy scholars could go and write texts. Mm. We found a bunch of texts back in the forties from some Bedouin shepherds who threw a rock and heard it break clay. What? Yes, and they followed the rock 
into this uh, like cave and they found all these clay pots where they were stored texts. Oh my gosh. From, and these are the oldest texts that we have. Like the, the, we don't have older versions of Hebrew texts elsewhere. Like the oldest wow. manuscripts that we have are from the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found on accident in the 1940s. Isn't that wild? That's crazy. The 1940s. Not that and long ago. No. And, and it was found on accident. Like, no, but this wasn't on anyone's radar. So, like, to think, and and again, like, to think that the King James Version, I say again, like, we've talked about this, but the King James Version was written in 1611. Mm -hmm. We hadn't even found all the good manuscripts. Like, it, we found a lot in the 20th century. It's revolutionized scholarship. Yeah. So to think, like, oh, no, they got it right way back then, or they got it right way back when when they were writing these creeds in the... 17th century get out of my face has the king james version changed since i believe the new king james has some adaptations but there's a couple like really famous mistranslations in the king james because they're based Mm. on bad manuscripts that we now have better ones anyway so he's he's working on all this stuff Um, and in the 70s the thought was prior to ep sanders jewish people were legalists Right. So like the Pharisees would demand um, obedience to the law in a way that looked like legalism. Do this, do that. Make sure this is happening. That's happening. Do these things. But what Sanders figured out was it wasn't quite that simplistic. And that actually seems to be wrong. They were instead pushing this idea of letting your relationship with God in the covenant, mm-hmm. like God says, you're in, you're my people. That's the basis for the works that you do outside of that. So when people talk about like the works that you do as an overflowing of mm-hmm. the commitment, like this is this is Jewish thinking sort of. So it's not works or faith. It's not legalism, bad, law-keeping, good. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's really how that works but like it's you're in yeah because god is gracious to you and has chosen you yeah but you have to be doing these things yeah to make that live right. a life worthy of being in the family yes. but these people are not doing that okay they're just checking the boxes right. which uh, r- reminds me of isaiah 1 where the prophet is railing on the people because it's like you do these religious rituals mm-hmm. let's just update it for our time you go to church yep. and our faith. Okay, so we've completely... Yeah. Okay. You go to church. You like to sing Hillsong in the car. You read your Bible app in the morning. You meditate for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. You you do all these things, but you perpetuate injustice. Mm-hmm. And Isaiah would say, quoting God, you make me want to vomit. Mm. Get your shitty mm-hmm. rights out of my face think god would be comfortable with that like because god is super ticked yeah in this passage like all the things you're doing they're worthless because your lives your i believe the words are your hands are dripping with blood Mm -hmm. and john's seeing some of that come to come to fruition here which is leading him to say like you can't just come out here if you're going to align with what we're doing your life has to show that how did he know this is where I'd say he's not detached from the community. Okay. So he's out in the wilderness as a sign act, mm-hmm. right? This is Exodus 
It's like, hey, let's do something cool. Let's go out to the wilderness. I don't think that he lived there necessarily. Okay. I could be wrong on that. So he knows how these people are living. Yes. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Remember, his his dad's priest. I don't know if his dad's still around. I would assume not. Probably not. But like he is very well acquainted with religious systems, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's in his DNA. Right. So he's saying, you can't do that. And you can't come out here and say you're in just because Abraham's your dad, Mm -hmm. just because you're an Israelite. Who cares? Mm -hmm. Because God can make the rocks sons of Abraham. Nobody nobody cares. Mm -hmm. You can't. You can't just go around saying like you're in and you're going to check all these boxes to escape. Your life sucks, dude. You have to live it out. Walk the walk. So this is what he seems to be uh, saying here to these people. And then the text gets more pointed because they turn back and say, what are we supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Which leads to these, these three interchanges where three different groups are asking, what should we do? To one... Um, and these are all relatively similar, so we'll just use one as an example here. But he says to one, uh, the first ones, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And I, I said on Sunday that the word there for coats, like we think, we hear coats, we think North Face, we think a nice leather jacket, we think it's a little... more like a petticoat. Yeah, it, it's not, and it's not that. undergarment. Oh, it's a petticoat and undergarment. I think so. Okay, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's very fancy. Yeah, this is like underwear. I think it's like a Victorian thing that they wore under. Yeah, so think back to like those um, old bathing suits. You know, like a guy would be wearing like a tank top onesie, like a tank top with when a little pair of shorts. When they were made of, of wool. Yeah, yeah. Wool bathing suits. Because it's like. The most comfortable material and to like, swim in. Think of how many extra pounds you're putting on. So many people must have drowned back imagine, then. I can't imagine. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine it staying up when you got out of the water. I mean, I it, like would, it would, would be heavy. Be yeah, it'd be heavy. Dripping. With but it's, it's like that sort of a onesie undergarment. Um, and John's saying, if you have two of those, give one to somebody who doesn't have any. And whoever has food must do likewise. And he goes on. I, I'll, get, I'll throw these in here for good measure. Then he talks to a, like a toll booth collector. Um, not, it's not a tax collector. Usually the people aren't mad at the IRS agents of the ancient world. They're mad at people who are private um, contractors who have worked with the government to set up a toll booth at certain roads to collect money. So you make a bid on toll booth number 42 on the Jericho Road. I'd like to win that one. I'll give you 17,000 denarii. Mm-hmm. And then you just start charging people to make that money back and then to make a profit. And these people didn't would... realize toll booths were so uh, yeah. ancient. Uh, yeah. So the the toll collectors are uh, coming to him and asking what they need to do. And John is saying, don't collect more than the amount prescribed for you. And then finally, the soldiers show up. And these could be Jewish soldiers. They could be Gentile soldiers. Either one, they're working for Herod Antipas, who's like the ruler of the the time here, um, or that region, I should say. And then they're asking what they should do. And John says, don't extort money by uh, threats or false accusations and be satisfied with your wages. So you've got these people that are going out into the wilderness. This is how we'll wrap it up. And they're trying to be baptized so they can check the box and be okay. Mm-hmm. Which I think has all sorts of points of contact with American Christianity. Yes. Right? Yeah. I mean, what are we trying to do to be okay? I mean, I think it's the stuff that you said before. The making sure you're reading your Bible, 
that you're praying, that you're going to church. Yeah. And even more at a fundamental level, it's like you've got to have this salvation experience. Mm -hmm. You've got to commit mentally. Mm -hmm. And this is the this is the problem. Like we reduce Christianity. And maybe this is what John is, is getting at exactly. We reduce Christianity to have you said that prayer? Right. Have you thought? those thoughts have you do you believe those things like jesus is lord and he died for you and mm -hmm. he's now alive for you do you believe that right and you're like yes okay cool you're good so you mean i can go and like be a huge asshole do pretty much whatever i want yeah treat yeah, people no, sure. however right. i as, want well, to. as long as you think yeah as long as you're mentally yeah assenting yeah to these things mm -hmm. not a verb uh, then you're good. Mm -hmm. And John would say, no, stop it. What? No, this is not it. So then it makes me wonder, like, if we're, if we're hearing this today and we say, what should we do? I wonder what the John figure would say to us as we contemplate our commitments to following Jesus and as we participate in, let's just say, a baptism that aligns ourselves with the move of God, what does it look like in practical terms for us to be part of that movement? Are you wanting me to answer that I don't question? know if I am. I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, we could really just leave that as a, as a big, fat rhetorical and just leave people with that. I think it's also not going to look the same for everybody. No, because even something as simplistic as love God and love neighbor does not look the same. Because my neighbors no. are different than your neighbors. And there's tons of different ways to love your neighbor. Yeah. And I, I don't mean my neighbors in the sense of like the people that actually live across the street. Right. Although they too are different. Yeah. But like the, the opportunities that I have to love and serve my neighbor might not necessarily be your opportunities. We mm -hmm. all have different sorts of opportunities. Not everyone was traveling on the Jericho Road coming across the person that was all beat up and bloodied. Mm -hmm. When you do, be the Samaritan mm -hmm. because the Samaritan loved their neighbor. And whenever you find yourself in a similar situation, love your neighbor. I think that's part of what it looks like for us to be aligned with the movement because then the John figure could not say bear fruit worthy of repentance as, a, as an indictment because we would be bearing fruits worthy of repentance. Here's a, here's, maybe here's a better question, Tessa. Do you, think, do you think that we're cognizant of bearing fruit or do you think that it's at its purest, like it's so innate that it just it just is an outpouring. It's it's a it's an overflowing, and it's happening because there's all there's people throughout the Bible. They're like, when what, Lord? When when did I give you a cup of cold water? Like they're yeah. surprised. I want to say that it's more innate, and maybe when you actually look at your life, you can see the fruit. Yeah. One of my initial thoughts was also. I wonder sometimes if, like, I've definitely had moments where I'm like, where's the fruit? Like, there's yeah. no... Self-doubt. It's easy. Yeah, it's easy to get into that pattern, too. Yeah, and I, I made that claim on Sunday. Like, if, if you live in that self-doubt world, 
come find me because I bet I can talk you through the yeah. ways in which you are living this out when you are bearing good fruit. Now, could there be more? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I do. Do I want us to wear that as guilt and shame? No. Right. Of I think not. it's. I think that it's easy to get caught up in that guilt and shame, and I think there's probably a pattern of that to some extent within the church. It does make me wonder, like, is John the guilt and shame guy, or would John be finding people saying, like, you brood of vipers? Not you. No, you're cool. Come on in. I think John, I want to say John is, like, the conviction guy, the, like, pointing out. That's his thing. Like, you got to be, you've got to, sometimes you have to have someone point out, like, you're not living, you're saying and doing all these things to check off the boxes, but you're not actually bearing any fruit and i would assume that with most people there's a certain level of inconsistencies well yeah where it's, people are inconsistent in general yeah but you know when you start thinking about opportunities you've had that you've let go mm-hmm. but again i don't want that to be guilt and shame i want that to be opportunities like, keep your eyes open yeah see the the things that you're you could take advantage of and then and, bear the fruit that's worthy of repentance yeah so if we claim to follow Jesus, there should be this shift in our life where we're following after the kingdom. Mm-hmm. We're doing the things that are bringing the kingdom to earth, bringing heaven to earth, however we want to think about that. So we should be anticipating categories and opportunities to bring that to bear on the world. Mm-hmm. And hopefully our baptism can function as that sort of impetus for an alignment with God and where God is leading us so that we can be the type of people that John would be celebrating out in the wilderness, the types of people that are bearing fruit worthy of repentance and living the life that we're called to live. Mm-hmm. Well, there we go. We figured it out. I feel like there's... Can I say one more thing? Yes. I feel <laughs> you mean, like you mean like, we didn't? Uh, we, did, we didn't figure it I out? I mean, sure we did. I think I was just thinking about like you talking about you and Kate earlier. There's that you chose each other and you're choosing each other. I think there's an element of that with being intentional and continually choosing to. Yes. It's not, oh, I prayed that thing Mm-mm. 10 years ago. I'm good. It's well, not one and done. Well. I, I don't want to make maybe it. Maybe in some sense it is, but in another yes. way it has to be a because daily. I don't mean this to be a, a theological deconstruction of like what does it mean to be saved not what i'm talking about no we're talking about bearing fruit and not resting on your laurels like oh i did this thing so long ago god must be super pleased yeah well why don't we realign you know realign with the move of god and sort of get on board in that direction god loves you but god wants you to bear fruit also yeah yeah for god's own sake and Mm -hmm. for your sake yeah now we now fig- we figured, now it, we out. figured yes. it out. Now, yeah, now, now we do. Yeah. Okay. Well, as they say, peace, love, and equality. <laughs> do they say that? We do. Yep, we do every week. All right, people. Goodbye.